You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. It's always so important to know uh, who we are in Christ because there's so many things out there in our culture that want to define us and shape us and mold us and label us. And, and there's just so much of that that oftentimes we can lose sight of who we are in Christ. And so it's just so important um, that we get our identity um, from who God says we are, who he is um, in us. Uh, for those of you that were not here last week and maybe have not heard. Um, last Sunday, Callie made the announcement that uh, she is uh, stepping down from her role as a worship leader, and uh, next Sunday will be her last Sunday leading worship with us. So next Sunday, uh, June 12th, following uh, worship services, we're going to be hosting a reception in the Praise Cafe to honor and to thank Callie for, where'd Callie go? Oh, okay. Uh, just to thank Callie for her ministry uh, to our church and as well uh, an opportunity uh, to just say goodbye to the Welch family uh, as they will also be transitioning um, out of Praise Community Church. So next Sunday, I just invite you to um, come and to be a part of Callie and her family's final uh, Sunday with us and uh, wishing them well for the next chapter of their ministry and lives. We will have a card basket available uh, downstairs um, as you go into the Praise Cafe. If you'd like to bring a card or uh, a gift as part of your gratitude toward Callie and her family, uh, we would encourage uh, you to do that as well. Also, you'll notice in your bulletin, that on Sunday, June 26th, we're going to be having a congregational meeting uh, following worship services where I kind of want to just talk about and address uh, two issues. The first issue is the Sunday morning format. Um, and the second issue is the fivefold ministry. Particularly, I want to talk about the role of the apostles and the prophet. Now, you do not need to be a member of the church to attend that meeting, so Everyone is invited and welcome uh, to come and to attend. The book of Proverbs kind of basically talks about three different kinds of people. First, there are what Solomon describes as wise people. Second thing is he kind of talks about people and he identifies the second group as foolish people. Now, there is a third group that Solomon kind of identifies there in Proverbs, and those are what he calls evil, wicked people. Now, in reference to that third group, uh, Psalm 40, 54 verse 8 says, and he's speaking again to people who are evil and wicked, he says, their poison is like the poison of serpents or, or snakes. Some people uh, he's talking about there can just kind of flat out be poisonous, and we again would refer to them as kind of toxic people. Now, for the last several months, we've kind of been talking about how do you be at peace with difficult, toxic people, whether those people are in your family, in your workplace, maybe they're in your neighborhood, uh, they could be even people you encounter um, in church. And we've kind of been looking at just ways in, in how do we encounter, how do we navigate relationships 
that we encounter where those people may just be very difficult, they're hard to get along with, they're toxic, um, and, and oftentimes, again, we can find and encounter those people in the very culture of the church. So I've kind of, you know, not really talked and focused a lot about how do we deal with difficult, toxic people uh, in the church? Because you're going to find, as we kind of get into this this morning, Jesus had to deal with difficult, toxic people in the church. Paul had to deal with difficult and toxic people in the church. They're there. And, and we oftentimes uh, uh, kind of buy into the notion that, you know, uh, everybody at, at church, you know, we all think alike and, and we should just all naturally get along. But as you're going to see this morning, there were people that tried to infiltrate the church uh, to bring division. They wanted to bring in, uh, you know, heresies. And, and so there were times where, where Jesus and Paul had to resist these kind of people. Now, again, the Bible refers to different kinds of toxic people, and one of them is found in 2 Timothy 2, uh, verse 16, and it just says, stay clear uh, or, or avoid pious talk that's only talk. Now again, this is what we would kind of describe as a religious toxic person. They talk a good talk. They talk about God. They may interject phrases like hallelujah, praise the Lord, amen. Um, but they're really not living that out in their daily walk. And Paul's counsel to us and, and to the church at that time was to avoid those kinds of people. So he says, stay clear of pious talk that's only talk. Words are not mere words, you know. If they're not backed up by a godly life, now listen to this, they accumulate as poison in the soul. It's poisonous and it can become toxic to us when people talk the talk of religion, but they're not really committed to God and his ways. And then interestingly, now, now Paul doesn't always do this, but occasionally Paul kind of names names. He identifies people or he'll, he'll kind of you know, single certain people out, and he does that in verse 17 with two people, Hymenaeus and Philetus. And he says, these are examples of what I'm talking about. Now, I don't know a lot about these two individuals, but I do know enough to know that these were two men who were, were professed Christians. I mean, they, they kind of, again, they talked the talk. If you were to be around them, you would hear things that would maybe give you indicators that these men were born again, spirit-filled, professing Christians. Now, what happened as, as some point along the way, they began to talk about the denial of the resurrection. They began to tell people in the church, they began to kind of teach people that the resurrection of Jesus Christ never happened. And so Paul uh, catches wind of what they're doing in the church is that they're spreading heresy, they're bringing division, they're trying to lead the sheep astray, and, and, and Paul takes that opportunity and he singles them out. 
And, and, and he basically says to the church, you steer clear of these people. Now, I've always kind of struggled because I'm not one of those people that want to get up every morning, uh, every Sunday morning, and start naming names. I, I, don't, I don't like coming against people. I don't like coming against ministries. As a matter of fact, you could spend every Sunday morning, if you wanted to, you know, talking about other people, um, other ministries, and, and trying to come against them. And, and there are churches that do that. There are people who have built whole ministries um, on tearing down, pointing out, identifying, fingering people, and then they'll kind of start going into, you know, what they believe, why they don't agree with them. And it's just never really ever been something I feel led to do. Now, occasionally, um, and again, I, I, I say maybe once in a while, you know, maybe every couple of years, um, as you kind of look at the ministry of Paul, there were times where Paul named names. He pointed fingers, and he was very specific about people and individuals. But again, Paul was very, very careful. That's not something you would see a lot in Paul's ministry. Paul's ministry basically was teaching the gospel teaching people about Jesus. That should always be the focus and the goal and the drive of the church, is to build people up, lift them up, encourage them, teach them about Jesus, uh, you know, teach them about what it means to walk in the Spirit, those kinds uh, of things. But occasionally, there may be times where you gotta name names and you gotta point fingers. And, and Paul does that because he says there in verse 17, they're throwing believers off stride and they're missing the truth by a mile. And again, there are a lot of religious churchy people, again, who have this outward appearance of godliness, but underneath it, I mean, when you begin to kind of talk to them about what they believe, you'll come to find out that they really hold some very poisonous and very toxic beliefs. And again, Jesus had to deal with these kinds of people all the time. In fact, there were two very toxic groups in Jesus' day. One group was called the Sadducees, and they were kind of what we would identify maybe kind of more the left-leaning, kind of the liberals. They were kind of the, we don't believe in the resurrection, we don't believe in heaven, we don't believe in the soul group. That, that kind of uh, sums what they believed, what they, they taught. And they were kind of, again, the theological liberals of their day. They had them then, we have them now. There are denominations out there that, that continue to teach and to believe this, this very kind of, of thing. And, and they continue to do all that they can do to lead people astray. The other toxic group that Jesus kind of had to deal with most often, and it's one that he kind of, you know, confronts over and over again, was that group called the Pharisees. Now, this was kind of more the right-leaning, you know, the conservatives. These were people who were kind of legalist, and they kind of saw as their whole job and their whole focus in life was to go around and kind of make rules, regulations, and rituals, and then everybody else, um, you know, uh, uh, kind of had to follow them. And then they kind of set themselves up as the religious priest. 
or the police, you know, and they would kind of begin to watch everybody to make sure you were doing everything that every rule, every regulation, every ritual they came up with, their job was to make sure you were following it exactly to the T. Now, interesting, Jesus didn't really have a whole lot of patience, and he really didn't have a whole lot of use for either group. And actually, Jesus would often deal with them quite frankly and quite forcefully. As a matter of fact, in Luke 12, 1, Jesus issues this advice in regard to the Pharisees. He says to his disciples, he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And then he, he, he names specifically what he's talking about. And he says, in particular, their hypocrisy. Now, yeast in the Bible kind of often represented evil. And one of the evils that Jesus kind of identifies there by name is hypocrisy. And we all know what hypocrisy is, right? The definition defines hypocrisy as the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. In other words, I say this is what I believe, but I live in ways that are contrary or contradict that. And Jesus recognizes here, and he kind of again points out this group, and he says, here are a group of people that one of their expertises is, it's not in rules, laws, regulations. They actually have an expertise in hypocrisy. And he says, you've got all of these rules and these beliefs, and, and, and Jesus sees them as kind of pushing these, forcing them on everybody else. And Jesus recognizes, but you're not keeping any of it yourself. You tell the people to do one thing, and then you go out and do the exact opposite. And, and, and Jesus identifies that, and, and he kind of points that out, and he addresses that. Now, again, the trademark of a hypocrite is someone who acts in different ways with different groups of people. And we've all done this um, to varying degrees, right? A hypocrite is someone who will act one way in church and then they'll act a, a totally different way when they get out on the golf course with their buddies. You act, you know, one way with your children. You act another way at work. You know, you're kind of a chameleon. You kind of just blend into whatever setting that you're in. And, and it's, it's this idea that your life is not integrated. You've kind of got your life compartmentalized or, or it's segmented. You know, I'm going to act this way here, and then I'm going to act very different here, and I'm going to act very different in this circumstance or situation. And the Bible says in Matthew 23 that the toxic religious leaders, the Pharisees, again, these were experts at hypocrisy. Now, they didn't think so. They didn't see that, but Jesus did. Now, Jesus said in verse 3, referring to the Pharisees, he says, so practice and obey whatever they tell you. Now, that's interesting because Jesus is recognizing what they're teaching, what they're telling you is right. He says the problem is, is that they're not doing this themselves. He says, so practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. What was their example? They don't practice what they teach. So Jesus said the Pharisees are kind of out there saying, do what I say, not do what I do. And that was the Pharisees, and again, it's what led them to kind of become hypocrites. 
We also see that those characteristics in a lot of our politicians, right? Hypocrisy, this is really interesting. Experts say hypocrisy will manifest itself in four ways. One is inconsistency, pretense, blame, and complacency. Now, if we're just honest here, isn't this probably one of the greatest struggles and tensions we as believers face as well? Again, trying to integrate what we believe as believers, what we know the Bible says and teaches, and then to translate that into our lifestyle as Christ followers. It was interesting, Janie was uh, sharing with me a conversation that she had had with somebody several weeks ago. And the person said to Janie, I'm a hypocrite. And Janie said, yeah, you are. And she was just taken back by that and almost offended by Janie's agreeing with her assessment. And then Janie followed it up and said to her, we're all hypocrites. To one level or another, to one degree or another, we're all hypocrites. We all struggle with this. And she's right. And again, it's interesting because oftentimes we'll make that statement about ourselves, but we really don't believe that that's true. That's why she was so taken back when Janie agreed with her and then kind of just let that settle on her for a moment and then followed up with, we all are. And again, that, that's, the, 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 that's the challenge. That's the tension. Um, that's the struggle that all of us in this room face. We're, we're all hypocritical at certain levels, in certain ways, in certain situations. There's always gonna be that temptation out there. That's why Jesus says, beware. He says it to the disciples. By extension, he's saying it to us. Beware. Just be on alert. It's very, very easy to become hypocritical. Now, to make this practical, let me kind of give you some other uh, traits of toxic faith. These are characteristics. These can be indicators of people who maybe operate in toxic faith. The first trait of a toxic person is legalism. Legalism is when people are more concerned about rules than relationships. Okay, legalist people are people who are more concerned about rules, regulations, rituals than they are relationships. Legalism is that which says you've got to earn your way to heaven and here's how you do it, which we all know the Bible says that's impossible. Can't earn your way to heaven. Legalism says that God only smiles on you you only have God's approval, you only have God's favor when you're keeping certain rules, certain regulations, and being a good boy or girl, right? Legalism says it's not about a relationship, it's about rules and regulations. And again, legalists, you'll find, always have this very long exhaustive list of rules, regulations, rituals, and policies. As a matter of fact, if you don't have a rule, a ritual, or a policy for that particular area, they are more than happy to come up with one. So the question becomes, are you gonna live by rules or are you gonna live by relationships? Now here's the thing that would be wise to keep in mind. The greater 
The healthier the relationship, the fewer rules you need. The greater the relationship, the healthier the relationship, you will find the fewer rules you need. The greater, the healthier the relationship, the greater the trust becomes. And that's what great relationships are built on. It's built on trust. So the greater, the healthier the relationship, the greater the trust becomes and the less need for rules, regulations, policies, and rituals. When you have trust, you don't have to go out and and keep creating uh, policies to keep people in line. You just simply trust them. You, You have faith in them. You have faith and trust in your relationship with them. So how do you identify a legalistic Christian? It is very easy. You spot a legalistic Christian because they're the ones who are always getting offended. Toxic, legalistic Christians get offended by everything. Been in this, you know, a pastor for, you know, going on 30 years. I can tell you by experience that is 100% true. Toxic, legalistic Christians are people who are offended by everything. They've got their what to do, what not to do list, what to say, what not to say. Um, and and uh, if you don't do what's on their, you know, what, uh, what to do list or you do do what's on their what not to do list, they are up in arms and offended. If you say something that's on their do not say or you don't say something that's on their do say list, then again, they are shocked, they are disappointed in you. So people who are legalistic get offended all the time. They live in this perpetual state of offendedness. Now, let me just say, it, all of us get offended from time to time, okay? I'm, I'm not saying that you, you never get offended. Again, this is people who are constantly offended by everything. I mean, they're just always up in arms about something. Again, these tend to be people who are very legalistic. We've had them come in this church and we've had them go out of this church. And I've just learned from experience, the faster you can get them out of the door once they've come in the door, the less damage they do uh, to the church. So oftentimes, I'll just kind of find something that I know will offend them, say it or do it, just to get them out of here, okay? Now, Luke 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 38, it records the reaction of one, uh, of one Pharisee at something Jesus did. Now, the Pharisee, again, it says, was shocked and somewhat offended when he saw that Jesus didn't wash up for meals. How many of you have ever eaten and not washed up for meals? Yeah, we all do that, right? So for the Pharisee, though, this was a huge offense. Jesus didn't wash his hands before eating, and because the Pharisee is more into rules and rituals and policies and regulations than relationship, he's so easily offended by something Jesus did. So that's, that's one characteristic of legalism. Second uh, traitor characteristic of toxic people is they're good at guilt trips. 
Guilt trips not on themselves, okay, but guilt trips on everybody else. Toxic religious people love to make other people feel guilty. So guilt and manipulation are some of the favorite tools of toxic faith. Now, I've, I've encountered this a lot, um, and I'll have people that'll come to the church, and, and they're kind of coming that they want maybe a gas cart, or they want, you know, groceries, or they're looking for help with rent or utility bills. And so as I, as I kind of encounter them initially, it's amazing how they will talk about their faith in God. And they will quote scripture like the son of God. Um, and, and, you know, they're initially, you're kind of taken in by that. You're like really impressed. Wow, these people, they really know the Lord. They really love Jesus. And then I'll kind of start asking them questions. So where do you go to church? Oh, I don't go to church. Hmm. And, you know, I'll kind of just start talking and, and kind of asking them questions. And it just doesn't take very long to get beyond that very, very thin veneer. And you begin to kind of discover, I'm kind of dealing with a really toxic religious person here. And for whatever reason, if I just really feel led to say, no, I can't help you. But I'll tell you what, when you tell them the word no, it all, I mean, it just all comes un done. And I've, uh, they'll go from, you know, preaching the word uh, to like, they're just at a bar somewhere. Uh, the language, uh, the accusation, they just make you feel so guilty because you said no or you're not going to help them. Um, and so I, I see this guilt trip, this manipulation um, often. And again, it's one of the very favorite tools of toxic people. They will try to guilt you or to manipulate you to do what they want you to do. Now, toxic people love to use the words should, must, have to, ought to. They're very good at shaming, blaming, condemning, denouncing, manipulating, and piling on guilt trips. They're pros at loading guilt onto other people's lives. Matthew 23 verse 4 says it this way, and again he's referring to the Pharisees. Jesus says they crush people. Now again, notice, not themselves. They don't crush themselves. They crush other people. And Jesus says they crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. I've, I've been around people like that. And, and you feel the burden that they're putting on you. You just feel like they're, they're loading a boulder on your shoulder and then they're just standing there watching you struggle under the weight of that burden. And, and they don't do anything to lift a finger to help you uh, in any way. Now, an indicator that someone is toxic by using guilt trips is whenever you hear someone blaming their unhappiness on you or onto somebody else, you know that is a toxic person. Anytime anyone tries to make their happiness dependent on what you do or don't do, they are, they'll, you know, um, they'll uh, try to make you a victimizer. They are a toxic person. They're people that are always saying, if you would just change and do this, then I would be happier. So a third trait of a character, a third trait characteristic of a toxic religious person is they're always nitpicking. 
These are people who love to find fault in what others say. Nitpickers are always people who are pointing out the mistakes of others. And what's interesting is, you know, as you get around people like this and you, you kind of uh, start um, exposing yourself to this, do, do you realize how easy it is to start taking that very same trait characteristic on yourself if you're not careful? I mean, sometimes I'll get around a nitpicker and I'll bit around them for a little while and then all of a sudden I kind of start manifesting that nitpicking as well. So again, this is part of why Jesus, you know, is, is uh, warning us about these kinds of toxic people because, again, it's just not long before we kind of start uh, manifesting a lot of those same characteristics. So nitpickers are ones who are always pointing out the mistakes in others. You know, you can be someone who gets the 96% right. They are the people who will point out and they will just kind of harp on the 4% you didn't get right. Nitpickers tend to be kind of judgmental and critical of actions, particularly critical of your words. Toxic people love to take your words and try to begin to twist them, to manipulate them, to make them say something you never said. Again, the Pharisees were very, very good at this. An example of their nitpicking traits are found there in Matthew 22, verse 15. It says the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. They did that often. They would try to set him up with questions or they would ask him a question thinking no matter how he answers this question, he's gonna fall into some kind of a trap. And so they were constantly trying to trap Jesus in his words. And nitpickers are always looking for ways to trap people with their words. Nitpickers will say, well, you said this. And you'll respond, well, well, that's not really what I meant, or that was a poor choice of, of words. And the nitpicker says, well, it doesn't matter. That's what you said. They're always looking for a way to trap you. Now, again, Jesus didn't put up with this. Jesus responded to the Pharisees this way in Matthew 12, verse 7. He said, if you had any idea what the Scripture meant, and then again, Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament book of, of Hosea. He says, I prefer a flexible heart in place of an inflexible ritual. In other words, Jesus is saying what's inside of you is much more important than what you're doing. And he said, I prefer a flexible heart to an inflexible ritual. He said, you wouldn't be nitpicking like this. What generally happens are toxic people tend to be very black and white. They're, they're black and white thinkers. It, it's either all or nothing. There's generally no gray areas for them. You're either all bad or you're all good. There's no in between and there's certainly no room for grace. So these are just, again, some of the traits, the characteristics of toxic religious people. They can be legalistic. They can be hypocritical, good at guilt trips and nitpickers. Some other traits I won't cover are toxic people are also good at, you know, maligning motives. 
Um, pronouncing people guilty by association. They did that all the time with Jesus. Oh, look, you know, he eats with sinners. He's hanging out with, you know, uh, alcoholics. And, and they were always, you know, kind of making Jesus guilty by association. Flattery, intimidation, pressure, gossiping. So how do you handle toxic religious people the same way Jesus did? How do you do that? I'm going to go through these um, kind of quickly. Uh, the first thing is, you just got to realize it's not about you. Whatever's happening with toxic religious people, the first thing you need to know in dealing with them, it's not about you. Okay, when somebody's toxic, they're gonna always try to blame you. They're always gonna try to make you the issue for what's going wrong in their lives. They are always gonna blame you for the pain um, and their problems. But it's not you, it's really about them. Now every time you blame somebody else for your pain and your problems, you spell blame, B-L-A-M-E, okay? When you do that, you are being lame. When you make other people the problem and not yourself, you're just being lame. So when dealing with toxic people, realize it's not about you. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, verse 13, he said, if it is possible, if, not it is, he says, but if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. Now again, it's important to notice two key phrases there. The first one is if. The second one is as far as it depends on you. Those are two amazing qualifiers. If you haven't figured this out yet, you need to. It's not always possible to be at peace with certain people. There are going to be people in your life, no matter what you do or don't do, no matter what you say or don't say, they're still going to poke you in the eye, okay? There are some people you just can't get along with. And with those people, you have to realize it doesn't have anything to do with you. It has to do with their pain, their problems, their hurts, and until they're ready to do something about it, until they're ready to resolve their problems, until they're really ready to start growing and maturing as a person and a believer, there's not much you can do to help them. And there are three things God wants to say to you about toxic people in your life. And the first thing is you didn't create it. In other words, you did not create their toxic behavior. If they're super fearful, if they're super bitter, if they're super envious, if they are belittling, if they're nagging or nitpicking, they chose to be that way and to act that way. You didn't create their behavior and you are not responsible for their actions. They may wanna blame you for it, they may want you to take responsibility for it, but it's their choice, you didn't create it. Second thing is, you can't control it. No matter how hard you try, you cannot control somebody else's toxic behavior. Whether that behavior is good or bad, negative, positive, toxic, whatever, you cannot control it. 
And I know in my life when I've had to deal with very toxic people, especially as a child, that was kind of my go-to defense mechanism. When people got upset with me, when people were being toxic with me, I kind of just started to scramble. What can I do? How, uh, you know, is there a behavior I can change? Is there something I can say or not say or stop doing that would control that person's toxic behavior, especially if they were in a rage? I would scramble to try to do something to fix or to control that. And, and I came to this realization in life um, much later on, I can't control that. As much as I wanted to, as hard as I tried, I cannot, could not control that. I think this is kind of one of the myths behind parenting. This is the myth that says, if I am the perfect parent, my kids will turn out perfectly. You know, and I think we all kind of buy into that myth with the first kid, don't we? I mean, we're trying to do everything perfectly, and by the time you get to the third one, you just realize, yeah, I'm a mess as a parent, right? And that's kind of one of those myths. If I am just the perfect parent, my kid will turn out perfectly. Well, there's only been one perfect parent in life, and that's God the Father, God created Adam and Eve. God was the perfect father. He puts them in this perfect environment, and they still messed it up, right? So the question is, are you gonna be a better parent than God? No. If God can have messed up kids, guess what? Some parents carry a lot of false guilt. If I had just done things differently, oh, if I would have been there more for them, oh, yeah, I mean, and we, we come up with all of these guilt trips that we put ourselves on. Every kid ultimately makes their own decisions and choices. No matter how hard you try or, or how differently you wish you would have been, there just are some things you can't control. And, and I'm not saying, okay, well, let's just be lazy, sloppy parents, you know, and just, uh, you know, cast it all to the wind. I'm not saying that either. But I'm just saying that, that there are parents oftentimes that, you know, their kid ends up, you know, in prison. Uh, their kid ends up in a lifestyle um, that, that they would never choose for their child. And again, oftentimes we just take on very false guilt. So third is, you, you won't change their behavior. Again, none of us have the ability to change anyone's behavior. Most of us struggle just trying to change our own, right? Again, that's where that hypocrisy comes in. All of us struggle with that tension in our lives. The Bible says to do this, and, and, and I want to do this, and yet I, I struggle. You know, my flesh is kind of warring against the spirit. We all struggle with that. You know, when you've got a crazy maker, when you've got toxic people in your life, again, oftentimes it's just a colossal waste of time to change them. Why is that? Because nobody will change until they decide they want to change. People only change when the fear of change is exceeded by the pain. I read that somewhere one time and I thought, man, that is so true, that is so good. People only change. They only find the motivation to change when the fear of change is often exceeded by the pain. When the pain gets great enough, then your, that's, then, then your fear of change, that's when people change. But until that happens, nothing's going to change. Now, the amazing thing is, is a lot of people, a lot of toxic people have a very high pain tolerance, okay? 
So you didn't create it, you can't control it, you're not gonna change it, so you realize it's not about you. Let me just close with this one. Second thing Jesus did, you need to do in dealing with toxic people, if you can, if it's possible, disconnect and let them go. Disconnect and let them go, let them be. Let them go their way, let them do their thing. You just disconnect. And I realize there may be some relationships in your life where that's not possible, you know, that they live in your home. What I'm referring to here are people in your life that are causing you pain that you don't have to be around. Those can be friends, they can be neighbors, coworkers, distant relatives, people you have no commitment to. How did Jesus handle toxic people in his life who wanted to hurt him? Matthew chapter 12, 14 through 15, the Pharisees went out and they plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Isn't that simple? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this out. Jesus just, you know, kind of knew the you know, toxic religious leaders were, were planning to kill him, so he just went somewhere else. It really is that simple. Jesus just says, yeah, I just don't think I'm gonna go there. I, I just don't think I'm gonna be around those kind of people. And again, it doesn't require a doctorate to understand that. You just don't have to show up where toxic people are. If toxic people call you on the phone, you got caller ID, don't answer it, let it, go to the, uh, let it go to the answering machine. If they're really annoying, find a way to block them. If they're sending emails or, or text messages, just find a way to block that. You know, if, if they're showing up at the places where maybe you go to Jitters or you go to Starbucks or wherever you go to have coffee and those people tend to show up there and they wanna corner you, just simply go somewhere else. So again, it's just disconnecting um, and just letting those people uh, go. Well, uh, next week I'm gonna uh, try to get, uh, um, start kind of talking um, just on, on cultural things that are, that are going on uh, in our culture. There's a lot happening um, in our culture. And, and how do we as Christians, you know, really begin to live uh, Christ-like lives in the midst of, of a culture uh, right now that just increasingly is making that more and more difficult. So we're going to uh, kind of switch gears next week and we're going to kind of spend some time talking about, you know, how, how do we live an authentic authentic Christian faith in a very, very chaotic and, and very toxic uh, culture. So uh, I, I know there were some people here this morning. I know Pam um, is, is kind of wanting um, some prayer this morning for a knee. Um, so I want to just uh, take this opportunity as we kind of uh, close this morning to just invite people. If you're here this morning and you need prayer, and, and again, maybe you're kind of someone who's kind of, you know, been dealing with toxic people, and you know, if you ever do that on an on a ongoing, regular basis, what ends up happening is, man, you just start becoming emotionally, kind of spiritually depleted. Um, and again, that's all by design. It's, it's kind of how the enemy uses people like that um, in our lives. Maybe, you know, you're uh, in a work place with somebody and, and you're just kind of really feeling frustrated. We want to pray for you this morning. We want to just, you know, we want to be able to cast that spirit of oppression 
um, off of you this morning. We want to just be able to begin to, you know, to, to uh, call forth um, just on the, the mercies of God for you, the grace of God, that, that, you know, you're able to go into that workplace tomorrow just a whole different person with a whole different perspective. Um, you're going in there, um, and, and you kind of, you, you see your identity as who you are in Christ. You're not basing your identity on who they say or how they see you. You're basing your identity. And maybe you just need uh, the prayer for that this morning. Maybe you're here and just like Pam, you've got some physical things uh, going on. We want to be able to pray for those things um, as well. So if you need to like pull a chair up, uh, if that would help you, uh, Pam. And, and if anybody needs to pull a chair up here this morning, uh, feel free to do that. But we just want to close this morning uh, and just inviting those of you that need prayer uh, to just stay around and, and we want to do that this morning. Father, we again, we just thank you so much that you just give us so much in the, in the ways of being able to live the Christian life. And, and we thank you so much for the example of Jesus. And Father, oftentimes we kind of just buy into this notion that if we're Christians, that, that life is just gonna be a bowl of cherries and there's just nothing further from the truth. There are definitely glorious benefits and blessings of being a son and daughter of the Most High God, but there are also, we live in a very fallen, in a very broken, a very chaotic, a very pain-filled world. And Lord, oftentimes it's so easy for that world to kind of uh, um, infect um, us and affect us as believers. And so, Father, this morning, as we again look at the ministry of Jesus, we look at the ministry of Paul, and we see, Father, that they had to deal with difficult, toxic people. And, Lord, the same is true for us. There are times we're just going to have to deal with difficult people, people who are going to come against us, come against what we say, come against what we do, come against what we believe, and God, oftentimes when that happens enough, it just becomes exhausting, it becomes overwhelming. And we thank you that, that Jesus shows us ways to deal with that. He shows us how to, again, to recognize those traits, those characteristics. He shows us how to disconnect. He shows us how to pray, how to, to seek your face, how to get in your presence, Father where you bring healing and comfort. Father, where you bring encouragement and strength. That, Father, you take our, our, our misery or the misery that others are trying to put upon us, Father. You take those burdens and you lift them from us. And, Father, in those places, you again, you bring that yoke of gentleness. You bring that yoke of kindness. And, Father, we long to be yoked with mercy, with goodness, with kindness in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we interact with others. And Father, I pray this morning just again for that, that spirit of hypocrisy, that God, again, it's something every one of us in this room, we struggle, we, we feel that tension. And God, we don't want to be hypocrites. We don't want to say one thing and do the other. So Lord, I pray that you'll help us by your Holy Spirit to really begin to live out more and more of who we are in you. That our lives would be in alignment. Our lives would be in unity with your word.
And God, in those places where, again, we feel that tension, Father, we pray that you'll give us eyes to see, ears to hear, that we would be correctable. Whether it's other people pointing that out to us, whether it's by your spirit, Father, that we're teachable, that we're correctable, that we can receive that. And Father, through that, that we can begin to walk out that salvation, walking out our salvation with fear and trembling. So God, help us in those places where, where we find ourselves in hypocrisy and strengthen us in those areas. And Father, this morning we just ask for just a, a fresh release of your Holy Spirit. That that Holy Spirit would manifest itself in power in healing, in deliverance, in restoration. The Father, your Holy Spirit would again just release himself in this place through signs and miracles and wonders. Father, that through the Holy Spirit that you would bring forth a, a, a unity, that there would be a, 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 a unity, a likeness of faith. So Father, we pray, Lord, that you would just bring your body together, that you would unify us. And we again thank you for the power, the presence of your Holy Spirit. And Father, we ask, Lord, that out of that oneness, out of that place of unity, God, that you would begin to move in incredible ways, Father. Just like in the book of Acts, as the disciples were gathered together in unity, your Holy Spirit came and filled them. So Lord, let us be of one heart, one mind, one faith. And God, in that, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, and out of that would come the manifestations of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We just invite you this morning, if you are in Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, so when you're ready, we just invite you uh, to go uh, from here uh, downstairs. I know that they've got uh, a continental breakfast uh, there ready for you, so it'd be a time for uh, just food and fellowship. So if you're here this morning and just would like prayer, we just invite you to stay. Otherwise, as you feel led to go, we just wish you a blessed week.